Hi, I'm Sam. I'm Callum. And one of us is bored. This week, we're discussing everybody's everything. Gus had very big plans. He wanted to revolutionize music as it sounds. The night that he was born, he looked at me with these big eyes. He was just like a little peep. I can't do it. <laughs> so I started like seven, eight months ago. I'm not really like a professional musician. I'm just good at speaking into a microphone. These songs are his true feeling. Apparently I got a Wikipedia page. The genres with alternative rock, R&B, hip-hop, trap, emo, punk. When I met him, he just know off rip that this person's a star. So moving on from our March month of Muppets Madness, we're going in a completely different direction and we've decided to talk about the documentary Everybody's Everything, which chronicles the life of the rapper Lil Peep from his childhood in Long Beach, New York, through his meteoric rise in the underground scene in the music industry up into his death in um, November 15th, 2017, at the age of 21. The film takes its title from one of Lil Peep's Instagram posts, which appeared the day before his death. Uh, The documentary is described as a humanistic portrait that seeks to understand an artist who attempted to be all things to all people. Um... First off, I like the word choice of we decided to go the opposite direction. I mean, well... Uh, This is a Callum choice? (laughs) I, forgive me for, like, trying to include you. If it were up to me, we would be doing um, Muppets Treasure Island again. Okay. <laughs> well, it, uh, luckily for for me, I suppose. And our listener. And and our one listener, it's uh, it's uh, not up to you this week. <laughs> yeah. So I just figured that this would be something completely different, and I stand by it. And no, it was a good choice. Um, I wonder if like a good place to start is. Maybe even before talking about the film itself, like Lil Peep as an artist, how were you first made aware of him? So we don't like to mention people's names on this podcast, the people we know, but a work colleague um, was really into him. And I actually hadn't really heard much of his stuff until I saw the film. I volunteered to go with him because no one else wanted to go. And I'm like, oh, I like a documentary. So I went and saw it with him. And then afterwards, I kind of listen to his music I, I, it's one of those people like you're vaguely aware of it's not like i hadn't heard of him i just like hadn't listened to his stuff mm. what about you um i think the first time that i was aware of him was actually when like tmz and all these places were reporting that he died like i think uh-huh. i think literally the the day he died was the day that i was aware of him and i was trying to kind of come up for reasons as to why this would be but I I think it might be a combination of things so I think and I don't mean this in a woe is me kind of way I mean this in a factual way I think to an extent I'm probably too old like there's an element of after a certain point you're if you're not keeping up with contemporary music in that way a lot of stuff like a surprising amount of stuff bypasses you especially if you're not listening to you know the radio when like in certain underground scenes or whatever. It's also not really my kind of genre of music broadly. And I think as well, at the time where he was kind of on his rise to fame, you and I were both in our final year of university and then trying to get onto our own careers. So that kind of time period was a very distracted 
point in time for me and I think all of that combined meant that like he he and a lot of this kind of style just wasn't on my radar up until the point where it was him and there was a few other rappers they weren't really from the same scene but do you remember there was that kind of period for 2018 2019 where there was quite a few rappers died for different reasons young mm-hmm. young rappers especially oh i think that's still going on now though i mean the ca- pandemic's kind of slowed that down because no one can actually go out but mm. like yeah do you know what though for you having said that see when he was alive i wasn't aware of him at all it's mostly in in death yeah because <laughs> i i went started my job in 20 18 maybe i think well we, so, we yeah. graduated in 2017 and he was still but like that's roughly when his kind of takeoff started and mm-hmm. like we what well, i say we i wasn't aware of it at all so um yeah it didn't do a huge yeah I, I must have heard of him in 20 2018 and he died in 2017 so yeah so yeah just like I, i'm sure like it was tmz for me that or something like that that made me aware of him but it was literally as he died see i don't even think it's an age thing though like i just think it's very it's a very niche genre and if you're not into that niche genre you're, you would never like i don't i'm not really a rap person <laughs> like you know what i like my my yeah. pop punk mostly pop well, um, I mean, the funny thing for me is that, like, back when I was, like, in my back in my teenage years, I was about to say, when I was a teenager, like, there was quite a lot of rap stuff that I did like, but, like, this is a weird, I I mean, it, it, they kind of cover it in the documentary about how he's actually really hard to define because it's quite a lot of different genres combined into the one. So there's rap elements, but there's also kind of, like, punky emo elements as well, and I I don't know if I'd just kind of got past my like rap phase. I mean, even, and I say phase, like it wasn't so much that I was into rap. It's just that there were rap artists I liked. Like I liked Lil Kim and Missy Elliott and people like that, but they were kind of like the yeah, big Yeah, but hitters. I would say they're more R&B than like rap. See, I wouldn't say that for them because like they were, like they weren't singing so much. I know, but this is like, there's like types of rap and mm. I feel like, that's the type i don't know i feel like that's not the same type of rap as this is it was it was definitely more like contemporary for the time or mainstream for the time whereas this is definitely not well actually i don't even know if it would say it's probably mainstream now but it wouldn't have been then as it were and uh, yeah he's kind of made it a big thing like soundcloud i said that right yeah or like rappers are a big thing now because i mean mostly because of him hmm and the people he was hanging around with, like, it's a huge industry now. Yeah, um, but I, I don't know. As I say, like, it, it just it, it wasn't really it. It wasn't, and it probably isn't really for me. And that's I, fine. I think that's one of the things I found really interesting about a lot of the people, well, talking about him in this documentary, and a lot of the people who would describe themselves as fans was. I suppose because a lot of the you get a sense that quite a lot of people are able to relate to a lot of the the things that are being said in the songs and I there was a lot of it that I just didn't relate to on any level and I will get into it in the documentary but I have thoughts on what it glamorizes and what it promotes and why people want to be that way like yeah but we'll get into it sure um I suppose just before we we do get into that then like um 
just because I've been a bit of a downer on this so far, I would say there are a couple of like songs. Well, I say a couple. There's one song I can think of that I actually quite like. Oh no, there's a few I like. I really like um, "Falling Down." I like both versions. I really like the one with Fall Out Boy because I like Fall Out Boy. Oh, I know. Uh, I know. I've been waiting. I can't. I don't know that one. Um, um, I like. I think the one I really like is um, "Awful Things." Mm-hmm, I like that one as well. Um, that's the one that stucks, uh, sticks in my mind, but falling down that you've mentioned that as well. Yeah, definitely. But um, again, I I don't know why I like them specifically. Like They're more pop sounding. They're more that's, accessible that's to people like probably us. Probably it. Like, yeah, like I'm just a basic bitch, so... <laughs> no, I, I, just, I just like my... I like what I like, and I'm at the age now where I know I, what I like, um, and I like... Panic at Disco, All Time, Low Quality Boy, that sort of stuff. So yeah. those kind of songs fit more into what I like, so that's why I like them. But it's like, even objectively speaking, I'm, I know he's good at what he does because of how people react to him, even if I don't really get the same thing. Yeah, I think generally speaking, you, you don't get large groups of people reacting positively to something unless it's doing unless it's moving them in some way like it doesn't that doesn't necessarily have to be a good or a bad thing but like if it's impacting a large group of people in that way it's definitely doing something so yeah whether or not i get it or understand it's kind of irrelevant yeah so going to the documentary now then i feel like we've covered enough yeah um when did you first watch it and what are your initial thoughts i think the first time i watched it was sometime last year and I, I, it's really striking. It's really, really engaging to the point where, I mean, we've obviously watched it again this week to talk about it now, and I still like it now. Like, my, my opinion of it's not changed. I think as a documentary, it's really good. I can't tell you why I decided to watch it in the first place last year. Like, I don't really have an answer for that, but um, I did, and it was something I was talking to people about afterwards, and I think that's it's probably more to do with it as a documentary than to do with its subject. I, I just think it's a really well-constructed film, I have to say. So, it is, yeah, I would, I would agree with that. You you went to see it in the cinema, though, you were saying. Yeah, I went to go see it with a work colleague because he liked Little Peep. Um, little Peep, sorry, I sound so white. Little Peep. Little Peep. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, and I just like a documentary and I'm down to... I just like doing stuff like that, like watching documentaries. I'll go out anywhere. When when you were in the cinema, was what was the audience like for that? Uh, people my age, my work colleague's age, like slightly older than he would have been. Um, like little people died at age twenty one, so mm-hmm. like twenty five, twenty four. Mm-hmm. Um, and everyone had nice blast. <laughs> I had one too. <laughs> Essential viewing <Yeah>. drink. <laughs> yeah, it was people who were like, yeah. It was very busy, surprisingly busy. Yeah, it's 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 something I was wondering about. Was... It was like a, it was like a very limited release. I think it was one like showing one or two days in limited places. So we had to travel to uh, the fort, which is a bit far away from me. So it was a bit of a trek to get there. But like it was it was good. It was good. They, they showed a music video they didn't show in the Netflix version at the beginning, and they had a message from his mum as well. Oh right, yeah. I know there's a bunch of. Um, I was reading today the the DVD and the Blu-ray release have a whole bunch of extra like interviews and extra mm-hmm. stuff that weren't used in the official thing. Um, I I don't know how much they really add to the whole thing, but I know that there is a there's loads. If you're of a stuff. fan, yeah, like you want everything you can get. 
Yeah. For me, though, I was like, the documentary is fine as it is. You don't really need. Yeah. Because it's got a good construction, as you said, and it doesn't waffle too much. And it does, you know. Yeah. There's some mystery and intrigue without ruining it. Yeah. I think I think just on that front, I really loved the way that the documentary was set up and the way that it allowed the story to, to move on. Um, I think some things that documentary makers can get wrong is when you have your director who's basically telling the story and showing what they're doing. And instead with this one, it's the people who are actually involved telling their story. Like the filmmaker, you you don't have any input from the filmmaker at all, which I think... No, they took a step back, which is good, yeah. I really, really like that, I have to say, because we don't need to hear from him or her. Like, we, like they aren't part of this. So I think it's better to let everyone speak for themselves. And there's so many insightful moments for that. Yeah. Like, but it also lets lets them hang themselves in a good way. Like some does. people, like, and they don't even do it in a biased way. You know, they're just hang themselves naturally by saying what they say, and they don't do any 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 like suspicious cuts. They just let them say what they're saying and let them hang themselves if they need to. And I think that's yeah. way more impactful than manipulating it with questions and yeah, the filmmaker. Totally. So let's let's just start going through this a little bit. Yeah. Well. We should say also it's kind of framed through the grandfather's letters throughout. That's yeah, I really love that as a as a as a narrative kind of style, and I think the documentary as a whole, it didn't really portray him as a star so much, but it did portray him as a as a person, which I think a lot of documentaries about singers or whatever that have died don't necessarily do. Like it's always like here's this you know here is this star, but this kind of painted him as very to an extent, quite family-oriented, especially towards his grandfather. And there's lots of home movies and photos throughout. And you get the impression that this is the story of a kind of a tragic person rather than of a rapper, which is also quite a good choice, I think. Like, it's just... I I love the way that the whole thing has just been constructed. It's just so well yeah. done. You feel like you get the feeling that a lot of people kind of pushed the star thing on him, like because they kept emphasizing, like, "Oh, he's going to be a star. He is a star." It's like you just wanted to sing his songs, man. <laughs> like you know, it's just it's a shame because he's like I don't know. They portrayed him as very shy, and you do get that impression. Um, I don't. I don't even think they portrayed him as that. Like he he well they do they do, but like he was that. There's plenty of like videos of him being like very awkward and very. Uh, I don't mean to sound like an ass when I say this. I just mean this in a factual way. Like it's not even that he was like lacking confidence. Like in some ways, he's he's kind of pathetic. Sounds a bit rude. Well, rude's the wrong word. Pathetic sounds a bit harsh, but you know he's basically staying in his bedroom smoking a lot of the time and like his friends have to drag him out the house to go and like in order to get him out the house they have to bribe him into like being like filming a music video or something like that and like he's just very he's not enjoying school he's not really going anywhere at the start and you know there but i guess i wouldn't say pathetic i'd say lost (sighs) aimless yeah it's but it's it's not exactly a you know, a, a healthy way to be. No, well, see, they don't. They don't portray him 
at the same time as like an angel, which is great. No, exactly. Because he's, he's bloody not. But that's, I think, again, that's to the documentary's credit because they could easily be like, oh, he's this genius that came from like a like the poor background. It's like, okay, we, great, we love as as like audiences, we love those kind of stories. But here instead, you've got this kid that's kind of just he's a bit of an outcast and a bit of a like a hermit essentially, and um. And he falls in with the wrong people. I think that's the basic story of this, is a guy who's a bit shy, a bit of an outcast, but talented. Um, and he falls in with the wrong people and it all goes to shit. I think that's the basic plot of this story. Yeah. And obviously there's a lot of there's a lot of um, other issues going on there yeah. as well. He's like the child of divorce. and. Yeah, yeah. But there's also a lot of instances, which I think is interesting, they show you points where he could have maybe... I don't know how to say being saved in the right way, but like where it could have been very different mm-hmm. if he had stuck with the right people at the right moments and then not been drawn back into a certain group where he could have maybe been okay in the end. Because he was getting better and then you'd go, you know, meet up with someone and get worse again. Yeah, I found um, the interviews with a lot of the kind of, I guess you'd say associates and people he'd worked with very interesting. Kind of as you were saying earlier, some people really hang themselves a little bit. Mm. Um, some people kind of some people talked about him just in terms of him kind of being a star and then some people talked about him out on a much more human level and then there were some people that you kind of got the impression really didn't know much about him at all and to the extent that you're kind of like well why are you almost in this you know why why are you in this i, I suppose to an extent it's because they were part of that initial collaborative group or whatever there's um there's a really interesting bit towards the end which i might be skipping ahead a little bit here but i think it was this guy called jay green or something who says something like half the half the people in this documentary will be bullshitting and i was just like that's so like perceptive yeah half the people in the documentary are bullshitting because he believes that little people are starting to wake up to the bullshit yeah because he'd said early on as well something about the idea that you know you've got all these people in your house and like you don't know any of them and as soon as you say no to them they're going to disappear and i think that was maybe i mean this probably ties into a lot of the problems that was being had because if you if you if you think of yourself as this outcast to begin with and suddenly you find yourself with a whole bunch of well, what you perceive to be friends and everyone's kind of like hanging around and suddenly you've got a little group and you're having a good time you're not necessarily going to want to get rid of that. So you're going to do everything you can to keep that. Right, so he starts off in his house just doing some music videos and then he gets with this first group. Uh, it's not called Schema, I don't know what it is, but it's that guy you were just talking about there. And he then meets another guy called Tracy and that's what causes him to leave this first group, which is, I think, one of the first mistakes. I feel like if he'd been with this other guy, you know, the guy who said the half of people were bullshitting, yeah. thing, I think he would have maybe been okay. Um, then he ends up in the GBC, the goth boy clique. Yes. Um, and that's where people start. He bought a loft. Um, people started like just he barely got to sleep in his own bed. People were just passing out all over the couches and stuff. And I feel like that lifestyle even now is so glamorized and people strive for it. And honestly, when I was watching, I'm like, this looks horrible. Like he's not a happy person. Like if you need to be that wasted to be happy with how you're living, like you're not happy. Yeah, I mean, there's there's kind of parallels to not such an extreme extent, but 
with what happens when you get students moving into halls for the first time like you're mm -hmm. there's a lot of bed hopping going on and you may not even be in your own place but you'll get drunk and you'll pass out there and i think there is this kind of um adolescent into young adult years kind of idolizing essentially of that kind of lifestyle it's kind of almost aspirational and i like we're young and we're having fun and we don't care yeah. and it's but just it's like are you really having fun though like if you need to take if you distort lines and get absolutely pished are you having that much fun doing that like i had a good time in uni not doing that <laughs> like, i had a good time yeah well i mean it's a good question to ask um some of them probably are but then uh, god i'm i mean i'm not hugely into you know the scene as it were so i i'm not really the person to ask not that you were asking me i suppose but a lot of people use use this stuff kind of to escape and the other the other thing is that drugs like cocaine especially they they is really really effective at activating the pleasure centers in your brain kind of like chocolate does and after a certain point um it's not like you necessarily need it to function but it does begin to change the kind of the makeup of your of the way that your brain works and functions yeah, well see that's the thing people are like very quick like it's very easy to say oh i wouldn't be like an addict i can just try it once or twice and it's like if that were the case there would be no addicts because no one goes into drugs wanting to be addicted to them no and the girl i met like so he had a girlfriend who i'm very sus of <laughs> by the way and she's like oh he could stop for a week at a time you know and i'm like mm, if he wasn't an addict though like wh why did he keep doing it like why did he feel like he had to keep going there was i i must say there was two girls wasn't there that were referenced as ex-girlfriends yeah and both of them i mean to an extent, all right, I'm not expecting them to be blubbering messes because by the time this, do I think this documentary was filmed in what, 2019? And he died mm -hmm. in 2017. So, okay, right. So a good chunk of time has passed. I'm not expecting them to be hyper emotional all the time, but they were both very matter of fact, just sort of like, oh, you know, this, this happened and that happened. And oh, we used to talk about that. And one of them was even kind of laughing a little bit as she's telling stories and stuff. And it's like, all right, okay, well, maybe that's healthy, but maybe you weren't that invested Mm -hmm. no i feel like a lot of people around him weren't invested in him as a person but him as a cash cow yeah and i mean it does I, going back to the, the the question of who in this documentary is is bullshitting and clout chasing well a lot of the artists mentioned or or interviewed i i mean <laughs> this would be a shock to no one i hadn't heard of little pete prior to him dying but i hadn't heard of any of these guys either and then you go and look some of them up on spotify and some of, some of them have only got like maybe a few thousand listeners a month or something like that and you start to think well not for nothing but with the right marketing it's quite easy to build up a few thousand monthly listeners as an artist on spotify for for very little and this is essentially to a huge extent a promotional tool for some of them so i think the guy was right when he was saying that a lot of people in this would be bullshitting because there would be a lot of people thinking i can use this to market myself like i'm i'm putting my name alongside the little people essentially even if he never really had anything to do with them well that and i think lots of them had a lot more to do with his demise than what they're saying as well like they want to make themselves look better after having acted so shady because they know that this is going to look bad so they're in there like oh i used to do my interview and say how great he was so i don't look like i'm a you know just an outright twat 
Well, there's there's an element of that as well. Like some of them were a lot more conventional than others. We should I should say, um, and some of them were very kind like uh, were more kind of matter of fact. And but the the ones that were so that's kind of a lot of the time I found that they were kind of like more the like the producer writer ones, and then the actual artists were the ones who are like purposefully trying to be like you know. Oh, I'm not. I'm not. I'm. I'm a unique individual. I'm not like anyone else. And we're we're all unique individuals, all with our like wildly colored hair. And <laughs> yeah, that's what kind of bothered me. They're like, oh, we don't want to be normal. I'm like, well, you're all in a drugged out haze. I'd rather be like functional. Yeah. <laughs> like take it as you will. But so he he kind of goes from the GBC and then this woman called Sarah, who is hilariously out of place in here, um, oh. decides that she really wants to hire him. No, oh, well, not hire him. Uh, you know. What I mean? sign him yeah no i she is very out of place like i i quite liked her as like a, a counterbalance to a lot of the other interviews that were in there i, have to I say. thought she was a bit weird i was like oh she's like i really love this 19 year old i love him i'm like oh god you're no odd. she she is odd um in the way that she's she um she tells a story a little bit but just i thought it pretty i thought it was nice to have a different kind of voice other than just the like another like another 20 year old stoner talking about him like i thought it was really nice just to hear someone else especially someone a bit older and someone that's working in that industry already like i thought it was interesting to hear what she had to say yeah but i also don't think she was the right person to be managing him well i think i think that she was bullshitting a little bit as well because she's she's another one of these ones that's talking about oh how wonderfully talented he is and then and then it like plays like a line of one of his songs and he's just like I don't know these bitches, blah, blah, blah. And it just reminds me of Lil Wayne when he's just like talking about like fucking hoes and whatever. It's just like, how long does that take you to write? Not very long. And it's just, maybe that's again, me not being part of the scene and just being overly critical, but just it's, I don't know. Like it just. I think he was definitely talented for what his, you know, his genre. Like, and we just don't get that because we're not in that genre. Like that's, but I don't think that lady was in that genre either. No, she's not. Uh, well, I mean, she's my 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 point is really like she's not really in any of those genres. Her her job is essentially to sell and package people. Yeah, make way. money. So like, of course, she's going to say he's talented. But when she says he's talented, what she really means is he's profitable. So yeah. that's that basically. Like, she's not wrong, but yeah. So he then has one show in LA where he is out of his mind. And they decide to whisk him off to London. We'll go to the LA show then. Um, that was a bizarre scene, and I think showed a lot. I think it did a good because I feel like for lots of it, it was all. Like, I'm not saying the documentary did it on purpose, glamorizing the drug use and the party lifestyle because it, it does look miserable. But like, I think that scene especially just shows you like how far it went. I was kind of. It's it. It was weird actually because I remember the first time I watched it. The first thing I thought was why are the audience not picking up on this because you and i have been to a lot of shows at this point we have and if someone that we went to see was like you know basically not present <laughs> on stage <laughs> yeah. i don't think we would be continuing to whoop and cheer as if like oh this is a great stage setup and i i get that that was kind of his thing anyway was the like I'm not going to be dancing around and there's not going to be like, you know, there's not going to be a, a spectacle as such. It's going to be this guy on stage with lights and a smoke machine. Okay, fine. I get mm -hmm. that. But like, that's still not normal. Yeah. No, he, he like went, he dazed off. He's yeah. just staring into space. Yeah. 
Um, not, and I mean, you've got like the the backing track going along. And again, I I understand how rap performances work as well. Like when it's live, you're kind of rapping along with the track. Like mm-hmm. so, it's not it's like layers and stuff going on. So it's not entirely just your voice. It's not like, you know, going to see a regular singer or whatever who may yeah. or may not be having extra help as well. But but. <laughs> Like he wasn't. There were points where he's not even bothering to do that, and it's just the backing track doing all the work. No. And and you wonder why his management let him go on like that. It's like it's kind of like Judy Garland. It's kind of like they just let him use what they need to to get him on. They're like, okay, just pop this, take this, get up on stage. And I'm like, you you said you're concerned, but why did you let him on if you were that concerned? Because he does not look well. Yeah, there was the guy. I I forget who it was, but there was one guy who was basically. It looked like he was going to try and and get the whole thing cancelled and then someone else entered the room at the last minute and was like, it's time to go on and there wasn't really much choice. No, but then the rest of them just kind of said, right, just get him on. Like, I feel like it shouldn't have been that last minute thing. Like, yeah. he, like, if you're that, because he was a drug user, so mm-hmm. he knew his limits and stuff, but if you go past that, you know something's wrong. Yeah. That's the thing, he wasn't, it's not like he'd just never taken them before. It's like, usually when stuff goes wrong, it's because it's been spiked or you or something's wrong. Yeah. And I think that it was it was I guess fortunate or unfortunate that they got that performance on on footage. Like they actually yeah. have footage of it so that they can, they can totally see it because I think for the, to, to it would be to the documentary's detriment if they were talking about that incident but there wasn't any actual footage of it because it would be very very hard to kind of visualize, I think. So I think actually having it and actually seeing it happen you kind of think crap right okay there is a real problem going on here and uh where were the handlers essentially just after the show there he he gets off the stage like prior to prior to the show going on he was saying you know i don't think i can do this and then after he says told you i could do it and the manager's like right this is where we have a problem and the manager had a story about him uh, running away to the bathroom and locking himself in there with like ecstasy and not coming out again and it just it's just like that's at at that point when that sort of thing is happening, as a I God, as a decent human being, let's say, not as a manager, not as a as a tour person, not as someone from the business, but as a decent human being, I would have thought your role at that point then is to just cancel the whole tour. Like just Yeah, I'd I'd be like, you know, get him to rehab right, now because he's gonna kill himself. Yeah, we're not gonna do this anymore. But the thing it, it's one of those problems where like everyone's making money off of it. And also not only that, like they were spending money at like an exuberant rate as well. So it's like the money that was being made yeah. wasn't even being Well, he wasn't even like the money was being used for the GBC, like so he was like carrying like multiple people's careers and money and he just seemed to think it was infinite amount. Like yeah. he didn't understand the concept of a credit card. Yeah. So he was in a bad position. He couldn't really afford to cancel a tour, but at the same time, you would think, just stick him in rehab, like do something. You have like, to have a little bit of, there's some sympathy for that as well, because he wanted to bring like his crew with him, essentially. But I mean, I again, I, I don't know any of these guys. I'm going to assume, let, let's just be at most charitable and say that they're as good as he is at what they do. I don't know that that's true, but let's just Yeah, be... he wasn't. They Like, if, if they were, he would they would have been headlining tours too. Yeah. Um, like if they were going to get there, they'd get there. And one of the, in fact, it was the woman we mentioned earlier before mentioned this. She was just like, she said to him something like, you know, you're going to have to leave people behind. Right. And he was just like, yeah, I get that. But I don't think he did really. And I think he had this kind of idea that he can bring everyone with him and we're just going to be this yeah. big collective. But like- see, I think he did. I think, so this is the London part. 
I think after he met the recording guy mm. and had a good kind of almost sober time recording and this guy was saying okay so we need to kick these people out to record and we need to you need to start saying no to people I think he was such a good influence and it's such a shame that he decided to do that last tour with GBC yeah because I think he was getting into quite a good place he had people who were helping him properly giving him the tools he needed to like say no to people which is what I think he was too nice yeah and he did want friends desperately and if he just learned to say no it maybe would have been a bit better for him. Yeah, because even that the, that last tour was described as a goodbye present for the, the goth boy clique because he, he announced that he was leaving and then a bunch of others did as well, just like spontaneously, oh, I'm also yeah. leaving now. And it's just but like, right, I well. But I think there was a lot of resentment on their, on GBC side because they're like, oh, we're going to lose. Yeah. I mean, I totally buy into the conspiracies. I, I don't know if I'd be this obvious, but so GBC tour happens. And is this where he dies? I think so. Yeah, so it's in a venue called. It's quite uh, quite far in quite far into it, but yeah. yeah, a lot of stuff happens. Like you see a lot of his tours, and they talk about him writing his songs and stuff. But the basic parts we have kind of mentioned, I think. Yeah. So we'll go to. Should we go to his death then? Yeah, go. Um, yeah, I'll let you. So they're at a, a rock venue. Steve Paul uh, phones an ambulance for someone who's unconscious, and then the ambulance person tells him to put one on the floor and do CPR. Apparently, he had been passed out for four to five hours, and that's shown through footage. To me, Callum, that is insane. Yeah, I think um, that was kind of... Again, it's gruesome to see, but I thought it was such a powerful like few seconds of film because I, I like the, after I watched this the first time last year, I did a little bit more digging into this, and I went to watch... Uh, I watched uh, some of the videos that were recorded from that boss up to that. And you see him at different points. There's like people like having a time and laughing and like singing and stuff. And he's just like, like sat there with his head back. And then they go back and, and look at him later again. And they're just like, oh, and then just carry on. And it's just like, at what point, you know, were they going to, and he's clear, yeah. he's clearly dead at that point. He's gone gray. Yeah. Yeah. Like, that's the thing. Like there's, I've I've not really seen a dead body. Well, I have in documentaries and stuff. But there's a difference between life and death when you look at someone. Like, you can tell when someone's asleep, when they're passed out, when they're dead. Because being dead's a very specific look. Like, you look waxy. Yeah. Like, his his neck is back, his mouth is open. He does not look alive. No. And he didn't look alive earlier when you were doing the videos either. No. No, I think he'd already gone by that point yeah, as well. Yeah, it's like, but... no, one, no one decided to touch him. Like, no one give him a wee knock said yo you good like see when my dog's suspiciously like quiet on the bed i give him a big prod <laughs> yeah <laughs> you know? yeah no we do that with our dog as well especially because she's going to be 14 in a few weeks and oh, see mine's mine's only six <laughs> <laughs> like my mom i've talked about this with my mom like occasionally we'll look at her and be like you're alive and then she looks at you like oh what do you want like just yeah, just checking your life. Like <laughs> I used to do that with my hamsters too. I used to like book <laughs> because it's like oh you're being silent. Even like when I was really young, my sisters and we were like when we were in the same bed, I was like prod just to make sure, just to make sure. Just checking. But it's just yeah, that's paranoia on my part probably. But it's just it's five hours is a long time. Yeah, it's wild. I mean the um. What was his name? Uh, Jay Green or whatever he was called brought that up as well. Like when he was being talked, he was just like, all right, I can understand at that point going away for half an hour or an hour maybe, mm-hmm. but like four hours and no one checks during that time is absolutely wild. Like that is mm-hmm. insane. And all you can take from that, well, all I can take from that is that everyone on that bus was just completely in their own little world and not having any interest in in that. 
and it's that just... or it's a conspiracy. Well, I'll let you <laughs> so, you you um dig into that. <laughs> so he took an over accidental overdose of fentanyl and Xanax, and fentanyl, if you've ever uh, heard of it, is a very strong prescription painkiller, and it can't be mixed with anything. Drug users know that. If you do drugs, you know fentanyl is. If you go, if you OD on that, you're you're totally fucked. There's no bringing you back. Um, so it's weird to me. It must have like I think it must have been laced. It's very easy done. Like I've known people who've thought they're taking something and it was fine, and then it's like, oh wait, there's something else in there. Um, easy done, but again, very sus that that happened and they just happened to leave him there for five hours. And there is one guy who is interviewed about it. Um. And he says that he gets lots of abuse because people believe that he killed him on purpose. And I think this is one of the interviews where someone hangs himself. Mm. Because even if you didn't believe he didn't, even if you didn't believe he did it, the way he talks about it makes you like, oh, you're just so unlikable and so sus. Yeah, I... I What's the guy called? It's Ma- Macnid or something? He's in the GBC. Yeah, there was a guy... Um, Mackend? I don't fucking know. He had... Um, he was like, he was up against a wall of loads of graffiti on it, like, in, in basically yeah. in, like, a hovel kind of way. And it was, like... I had a little bit of sympathy with... Because he actually turns to the directors at one point and says, like, even you don't know how this is going to be portrayed because once it's out there, people can take clips and, and do what they want. And it's like, all right, to an extent, that's true. But because of the way that this documentary is, it's literally just people telling their own interpretations. The the documentary doesn't push an agenda one way or the other. I don't think that people, you know, could necessarily in good in good sort of efforts do a good job at pushing it one way or another with tiny clips from it. Like there's there's not a lot that you can take out of context and and portray in other way. Like people. And I don't think that there would be anything to be gained from doing that. So I think, as you're right, like he comes off as very suspicious. But to be fair, everyone in that group, everyone from the GBC should, to an extent, be held accountable because not one of them stepped in at any point. No. Not one of and, them said... And they were you know, definitely using him for his money mm-hmm. earlier on. Yeah. Which makes it even more suspicious. Well, I, I think as well, like a lot of them were kind of like, well, like shit, one of us is taking off. Essentially, we're all going to ride this and, and go up together. And that, that's just clearly not the case. And I think like from a from a record label's perspective as well. And I mean, I know we look at a lot of the pop singers and think, oh, you know, a lot of them are all the same and whatnot. And to a huge extent, that's true. But from a label's perspective, if you've got a little peep, you don't then also need like half the members of golf boy collective who are basically doing the same thing but not as good like you've got little people why why would you need them so if they're not going to they're not going to be invested in that um and and i mean like just you see that in a on a like a, a bigger le- level as well like i mean i don't know if you remember like i think it would have been Gosh, what year would this have been? I think this would have been like early 2010s, so like 2012, 2013. Do you remember the like Young Money, Cash Money group? It was like Lil Wayne, Nicki Minaj, and a whole bunch of others. And they did like they had this song called Bedrock out, and it was like the whole collective on this one song. And there's like some of them are total nobodies, and they were literally riding the coattails of the others. And where are they now? They're literally nowhere now. Whereas you've got like the big names were big because of who they were, but like you can't like that's evidence as if as if this hasn't happened on multiple occasions. You cannot bring people who aren't like at a several level with you. You just cannot yeah. do it. There's certain people who are like made to be famous, and you know what? I feel like he was he just had that thing. 
that special quality. I'm not saying he handled it well because I don't think he enjoyed being famous at all. And you know what? I Everyone has this idea of fame and I think, honestly, I would crumble. I'd hate it. People are so mean to you. People expect so much. It's a lot. Anyway, going beyond that, um, there's just some people that have that special something and some people don't and that's just it. That's the reality. Um, there's just some people who are very likable and very charismatic and that's a front man for you and I just feel like it's a thing you're born with. It's very hard to make. As well, like they, one of the points that his, I can't remember who it was that made it, if it was, excuse me, if it was one of the ex-girlfriends or something, but um, someone said something like he got the face tattoos because he knew he wasn't going to be in an ordinary job or something like that. Mm -hmm. And I think, okay, that's fine. But in the late 2010s, there were a lot of rappers. And I mean, even now that still have a lot of the face tattoos and stuff going on. And I don't necessarily think that that's a great image to be putting out there. Um, well, I don't like the idea that you have to like, like you have to go against normal people. Like it's like no one's normal. You know what I mean? Everyone has their own stuff. Whatever. Yeah. I just hate the people. Like I hate the idea that you have to like tattoo a big love heart on your face to be something special. It's like nah, like you're you're special to your little audience and stuff, but it doesn't mean you're any better than anyone. And I don't like the idea of people portraying them as. Yeah, I, I think there's something to that for sure. But I mean, like, if you are, as the majority of that group, I'm guessing, not going to end up having a substantial career, then you've got, like, a whole bunch of shit tattooed over your face and you're going to end up doing... Because there's so many, like, former pop stars even that have had, like, multiple hits and now work in, like, teaching or whatever like that. Like, you know, after a certain point, like, you know, your music... And I mean, even we think about a lot of... um you get a lot of former big singers from like the 2000s and the 90s who are still releasing music but aren't necessarily, you know, they're not touring really or hitting the charts. And the reason they're still re releasing music is because one, they're doing it independently, but two, they're actually doing other side jobs on, on the side. Like, like the music isn't their full-time career anymore. But you know, that sounds like an ideal career for me. Not for me, but you know, like, because the level of fame that some people get just isn't normal like people should not be treated like that because it doesn't do good things to them or to their fans I, I agree but the way that things are the way that the images are presented is that like this is my life and it's just like oh yeah, yeah totally right. yeah well no that's not your life that may have been your life a decade ago but now you're like you know working part-time as a delivery driver and occasionally releasing the odd song and i'm not yeah. i'm not like being shitty towards anyone in specific but like this is the reality of how a lot of yeah. it is. I mean, it doesn't happen to everyone. It happens to like about half, I'd say. Like some people do te last the test of time. Some do, definitely. Some do and, and some don't. But it's a big but... rest of tattoo on your face. <laughs> yeah, anyway, that's that's the point of my little rant yeah. is that like putting a tattoo on your face and being like, I'm an artist. It's just like, well, no, you're not. Like, <laughs> bleep that. <laughs> I kind of don't want to. <laughs> um, so... Yeah, I don't know. I I'm not big on face tattoos as my as my point there. But Yeah. Um and I know his kind of his I don't know, kind of suit him, but yeah, I also think he had a very like he had a really nice face before them. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Big brown eyes were really nice. Yeah. It's uh, kind of a bummer. Um Unfortunately. Yeah. I'm not like that's just a, a cultural thing. I don't really get face tattoos to be honest. So so going back to the cause of death then, because you're saying you you think it was intentional. Do do you think so where on where along the conspiracy lines do you do you fall? Do you think it's like a disgruntled JBC member has done it, or do you think it's a genuine accident from a Sorry. drug dealer gone 
a bit AWOL or like what's where do you fall? See, I don't, I don't know. It's one of these things where I wouldn't be surprised to hear the truth either way. Mm-hmm. Like I'm not entirely convinced that someone would murder someone that easily, but I do also know they seemed very vindictive mm. um, at points. That guy's interview was what kind of swung it. I'm like, oh, that's so sus. Yeah. But at the same time, it could very well just be an accident. But the fact that none of them bothered to like touch him, it's just odd, man. It's just, yeah. and he, you know, it's, he did know what he was doing. I don't think he took fentanyl on purpose no. while taking Xanax. Well, I, I don't necessarily think, so everything I've just said about the, you know, like one talented person can't bring everyone else with them. I completely stand by that. But from the perspective of someone that would be in that group and would be hoping to to rise up with them, I would have thought you would be wanting to make advantage of that for as long as possible while it's lasting. So I don't necessarily fall into the, like, one member of the group tried to murder him kind of conspiracy because... See, but at that point they'd said that he, they weren't doing it anymore. This was the last one. Oh, I know th- I know they'd said that, but the, it wasn't... Was it not the end of the tour? I'm pretty sure there were still some shows left. Like, it's... I'm not sure. Like, I it, it was... I don't think it was quite the end of the whole thing just yet. Mm-hmm. Um, but not only that, like, okay, sure, he's not going to do any big performances with you. That doesn't necessarily mean, you know, he won't let you do a feature or something down the road. Like, we know what he was like as a person. Like, he was far too fucking nice for his yeah, own good. Way too nice. But I think that guy was saying he was starting to wake up. I think, I honestly, I'm, I'm not saying he was murdered, for sure. But I am saying, I do think he was starting to realise that he was being used like a doormat. Mm. Um... And then that last tour was like he felt guilty for realizing. I don't know. It's mm. hard. It's hard like, if you don't know like him. It's hard to say what he thought. But I would have at some point maybe clocked on to right. Hey, wait a minute. <laughs> I want to sleep in my own bed for a minute, please. Yeah. Uh, no. I mean, I, I should say as well. Obviously, like the way I'm talking as well. Like I don't fucking know anything about him. So like I'm, I'm talking for him just from how I would view it. But it's just. Well, so what do you think happened? <laughs> I don't hugely know that it matters. I think if it was a murder, that's unfortunate. If it was a case of the 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 dealer sold really really dodgy concoction, that's unfortunate. But at the end of the day, he still took it, and like he knew he was taking something. And I think when you're when you're whether you're doing you know prescription pills or or your more sort of hardcore drugs, you know that there's a risk to be taken, just just as there is with any other facet of life. And so while it's unfortunate it happened, he was still a participant to the extent that- Oh no, I, I agree. I, I do feel like that's one flaw of the documentary and it's not even the documentary's fault, is that nobody nobody really faulted him for his own faults. Like, And it's like, no, he was an addict, sorry, but he was like, and, he glamorized like a life when he actually did have a good support system. He had his mum mm. and his gran, mm. who were very supportive characters, and he had people who did want to help him. His grandfather. But I think he, yeah, yeah. And I think being trad, being a tragic figure, is almost glamorized to the point where he kind of wanted to be like that. Yeah. Like he maybe made a living doing it, didn't he? Being a tragic figure. He, t- so. he talked about dying long, young a lot. So yeah, there's like some people. It's glamorized. It's people are like, oh, like I. You see it all the time, young men who want, well, young men and young women, but mostly men for rapping, mm-hmm. um, who are like, oh, I want to, you know, just live in people's flats, couch hop, do make music and, you know, do drugs. And I'm like, well, it's <laughs> sure it's something different, but I don't know if it's all that great because dying young is not great. No. <laughs> it's like, for all that, it's like. 
And I mean, like, it's it's not that difficult to do any of that stuff. The The difficult part is doing something that's meaningful for other people. And I mean, it very well could have been that, you know, his whole career never took off and he ended up just dying that way anyway. Like, obviously not on a tour somewhere, but he could have well just ended up dying in some dive somewhere uh, the exact same way, doing the, having the exact same lifestyle, as you say, just living with a group of other guys making music that's not particularly well engaged with. And I would not be surprised if that is a story that, you know, happens across probably the US oh, yeah, all predominantly. The time. Like, it's just, you know, it's not difficult <laughs> not that not that, that you know not that i'm not that i've been capable of it but it's not difficult to build a following online especially when you've especially when your brand is and no shade at you as like a pop punk kid as well but when your brand is we're the outsiders and we're going to collectivize ourselves as being the outsiders to, to be fair to me just saying panic this goes at a stadium callum he had glitter jackets <laughs> i am not no outsider <laughs> <laughs> no but i i was i was there and I, I remember the bit about like uh, the bit from the stage, you're all individuals and you're all fucking beautiful and this and this. And it's just like, oh, I don't know. I'm not saying anyone buys I that. I, I don't know that you should tell them that. Like there's, the, you know. Imp- I mean, they are kids, individuals. Kids, improve yourselves. Society's not the problem. If, if if the world's against you, it probably is you that's the issue. No, no, like, I, I don't think that was the way that one was being taken. No, no. That, that's it's mostly the, LGBT that's, kids. That's the message I would be giving. Like it's not the world that's against you. It's you. Self-improve. This is why you're not <laughs> famous popular artist because <laughs> you're kind of a downer no like well that's i i am though like have i had you know um i don't know if i've given you my rant about the song um fucking perfect by pink uh yes yeah, sure. i just for just for anyone who's interested i fucking despise that song like it is the worst possible message you could put out there you're not can we be singing self-improvement yeah not only are you not perfect but you can be better so fucking improve it's not everyone else it's not everyone else it's you get better get good scrub there you go <laughs> Jesus Christ. Well, that's, this is our little uh, dissertation on why Callum's not a pop star <laughs> <laughs> or an inspirational talker. I, oh. I think that's incredibly inspirational. There's something very libe- there's something very liberating about accepting the fact that, you know, not everyone has to accept you and not everyone has to like you. Like, yeah. I think I think, you know, a lot of the things about I need acceptance, it's just like, well, you know, it's cliche to say accept yourself and and the, the whole Ru- what's the RuPaul thing like no one's gonna love you until you do or whatever it is I'm butchering that because I don't watch RuPaul but <laughs> you did definitely butcher but that but that's okay that's there's some there's a lot of element of truth to that and a lot of the way that popular culture works at the moment is kind of about you know you are beautiful and everyone should love you it's just like no you're not and no they shouldn't like you're you're not you're not entitled to that you're not yeah but that's uh, you as a th- almost 30 year old like i feel like 15 year olds should get a break callum i don't think they, they are should. struggling <laughs> yeah yes they do no. shush yes no <laughs> being a teenager is bloody hard and if you need brendan yuri to tell you you're perfect that's all you need I, so <laughs> being a teenager and I, but I don't honestly think that's what that speech was about like it's not saying everyone's the best and everyone's perfect it's just saying oh hey if you figure out your bi you're fine <laughs> Yeah, I know. But again, again, I suppose, like, from my perspective, like, you know, 2008 called it once it's ethos back. Like, like, it's, it's not a controversial position to take. Like, it's just, I'm just not here for that. Like, <laughs> what were we even talking about? Um, uh, I 
can't remember. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. You <laughs> go for the tangent. Oh God, so far off the beaten track. It was something to do with... Um, Him being the chosen one? <laughs> I. It was something to do with the way that he's looked at by his fans, I'm sure. Or oh no, it was to do with him being the outsider and and the the oh yeah. yeah. So anyway, but see, he was also very anti-materialistic. I'm like, well, you can't do say that and then wear a fucking chain. Yeah, I I thought that messaging was really weird as well because they were like, he's fighting the machine, and it's just like, well, if he's fighting the machine, why is he charging tickets for his shows? Yeah, yeah. Like, why why is he why is he wearing diamond chains? Yeah, like there's. I was like, you can be a nice person and still like nice things. Yeah, God, like I mean, like I know, like I I don't even know if people get a big deal for this anymore, but I like I know it's selling out to like do all the like the commercials and stuff. I don't think that's that big a deal. Like I really no. Don't. I feel like authenticity is the worst thing ever. Like I really like the new Neck Deep album. Lots of people don't because it's like, oh, they sold out. I'm like, why? Why are you saying that? You should be happy that your band's doing well. Mm. It's like when Panic went to stadiums, lots of people are like, oh, they're not doing the small shows anymore. This is rubbish. I'm like, why? Yeah. They're making, I want them to keep making music and be happy. Like, mm. I don't understand authenticity. <laughs> like, why? Mm. I don't think you should deprive yourself of stuff. Excuse me. Sorry. I don't think you should deprive yourself of stuff because you feel like it's gone against some kind of moral codes that like the 14 no it's people who are jealous are saying that yeah it's 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 unreasonable and it's yeah he he was going to end up with his nice you know shiny career with more stability yeah and his old crew were like oh he's selling out man he's like okay i'll do last tour with you and then i thought i did like that he didn't really understand the fashion shoot photos i thought that was quite funny and to be fair like a lot of them were questionable i think I'm not hugely. I'm not a fashion. Yeah, I'm not either. But like, it's. I I think the thing about high fashion, especially, is you have to realize that they like they're not necessarily designed for practical day to day wear. It's literally to make a pretty picture or to make a statement or whatever. So it's not necessarily about actually wearing stuff out and about. It's about you know a concept or whatever. It's it's the equivalent of a painting. Like okay, a painting is nice to look at, but you you don't use a painting for anything else other than that. And I think that's what a lot of high fashion is. Is it's just for something to look at. But fine with that, to be honest. Which is fine. Um, but until you kind of accept that, I think a lot of fashion just goes beyond people after a certain point. You just find stuff that you like to wear if it's and if that's that. It's just like that's that's the amount of engagement most people have with fashion. So, which is yeah. fine. Right. Um, so the film itself, um, it ended up uh, originally, no, it was a, a South by Southwest premiere, wasn't it? Like it was kind of like an independent indie documentary. Um, as far as the box office goes, I don't think it had a huge take, did it? No, it was a very limited release, though, like very limited. Like here it was only like two cinemas showing it, I think, mm-hmm. on one day, mm-hmm. one showing. Yeah. Um, critically, like it seems to have been received fairly well. I have to say, like I haven't really seen any huge critical reviews about it, and honestly, like I think a lot of it kind of ties in with what I felt about it. It's just um, there wasn't anything that made me think, you know, anyone's like completely, completely far off with this one. Although I did see something that I thought was really interesting. One reviewer had noted that you probably get more from this not being a fan than you do as a fan. Because I think as a fan, you maybe go in wanting to see some of the performances and some of the like the growing up type stuff. And then as someone who's not a fan, you've got a, a human story. Yeah. So Yeah, I would yeah. 
Okay, yeah. Um, I can see that. Which are very different things, and I don't know. So I. It's an insight into an industry that you just don't know about. Yeah, yeah, definitely. No, I would, I would recommend a watch. I think it's a pretty good watch. I, I honestly, I think as a document, as far as documentaries go, this is probably one of my favorite recent ones that I've watched. Mm-hmm. Like recent yeah, from the I last agree. couple of years, anyway. Like there's, the, it's, it's such strong storytelling just through the people telling their own stories and the way it's edited, and it's shocking, but it's not scarring um no yes that's and that's the perfect way to be honest too many documentary school for scarring yeah i think so like it's um and it's not like it's emotive but it's not manipulative either like it's it's just it's it's so well done and i really think whether you're a fan of the guy or that style of music or or rap or anything in general you don't necessarily need to be i just think as a human interest story it's really powerful and um it gives a good insight as to where I guess part of popular culture was in the late 2010s. So, yeah. So, what are we watching next week? So next week we're going to do something completely different again. We're just going to go, um, <laughs> going to go somewhere completely different. Uh, <laughs> next week we'll be watching um, or talking about Who Framed Roger Rabbit. So that's a bit more wacky and zany and lighthearted after this. Um, <laughs> So if you've if uh, you've listened to this and you've not um, decided that you hate either of us for our for our um, stuff, then please join us next time when we'll talk about that, and we'll see you then. Bye.